Hi everyone, thanks for joining. So, thanks for being here. I know we're just between you and replay, so it's really a pleasure to have you here. Um, we're going to be speaking today about running, configuring, and securing Windows workloads. Um, it's a session where we're going to have some demos. Uh, so, I'm Julien Lépine, I'm a solutions architect. I've been working with Amazon for the last four years now in Europe, and I'm looking after Amazon Web Services customers in Europe. Uh, especially on the Microsoft ecosystem. So any Microsoft-related platform um, features on AWS is something I work on. And I'm Brian Lewis. I'm a solutions architect based out of the Chicago area, uh, and I've been working on Amazon for the last five months. Uh, but I've been in technology for a long time, so I think, uh, I, think I have a little bit to bring to the, to the market. Uh, but, but new to Amazon in five months, and, and uh, I think I've got a lot to show you that um, that will be interesting. So uh, I think that you can come up to speed pretty quick on it. Uh, if you put your mind to it. So, with that. So, what we're going to be speaking about. Uh, we're going to be speaking about, as we say, building Windows platforms on top of AWS. And we want to show you some, some tips and tricks and, and some best practices that we've seen in the field for initially building the foundations of your platform. Uh, when, when a new customer gets started on top of AWS, we want to make sure that that customer, maybe you, maybe one of your customers if you're a partner, is going to have the best experience on top of the platform. And to do so, we want to make sure that they're going to have solid foundations. We just announced uh, this morning, uh, Werner announced that we now have a fifth pillar in the well-architected framework, which is operational efficiency, operational excellence, actually. And we're going to see some practices that come out of these well-architected practices that we have, and we've just released many white papers around. Once we're going to have the foundations that are going to be around security and identity, mainly, we're going to see some ways to enable repeatable deployments. Uh, it's really one of the values of the cloud, and it's the first value that I've seen when I joined four years ago, is really that programmatic access to everything within AWS. And I believe most of you know the, the APIs and, and CloudFormation specifically. So we're going to see some of the tricks and, and techniques that I've seen in the field used by customers. And finally, I want to have a last focus on Enabling efficient operations. Um, everyone on Linux knows the pet versus cattle analogy. Um, on Windows specifically, it's not something that we see that much because we have Active Directory. And when you have a machine that is started, it joins a domain. And if that machine disappears, you have to clean up the domain. So there are some practices that we can see on enabling efficient operations while so having elasticity and still being on the Windows best practices. So, let's get started. The foundations we want to have, as I said, we want to focus on identity. Identity has many visions. We have identity on the platform through AWS IAM, and on the other side we have, as I said, Active Directory. Identity for the applications. When you're running something, a SharePoint, an Exchange, or any ASP.NET application, you will mainly want to have an identity store that's going to be stored in Active Directory. But IAM directory services, to launch directory services, you need to have a network. And we're going to have some dive deep on Amazon VPC. So we have, we've had many sessions this week around Amazon VPC, transitive VPC. The session just before this one was how Netflix migrated lots of instances to VPC. So VPC is really a cornerstone of building an efficient platform on top of AWS. So let's get to IAM. So IAM, you know it by, by heart now, I believe. So IAM provides you the capabilities to 
access every single resource within the AWS cloud and have more than 30 controls, I believe now, where you can specify, as Andy said yesterday, uh, you can specify that someone has access to creating a new resource in that specific VPC from 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. only during the weekdays and if it's connected through that network. So IAM has many features, but what people want as well is they want to have simplicity. So what they want is they have an active directory on premises. And what my customers tell me is, I want to use the same identity. As, as a customer, I log into my machine in the morning, and I want to manage and administer my AWS platform. I want to use the same logins. I want to have a full SSO capabilities. And we're going to see how we can build that. So here is one of the sample architecture diagrams that I actually see just about every day when I move to a customer's. Uh, you're going to have an Active Directory domain controller that is running on-premises. Maybe one, maybe many. I don't recommend you to have one, at least two for high availability. Um, and people will want to have access to AWS IAM, so making sure that they can access and manage the identity on the platform. And one of the best ways to do that, that we're going to demo uh, just later, is Active Directory Federation Services. Active Directory Federation Services is a SAML, so Security Assertions Markup Language provider that is based on Active Directory. So based on which group you belong to and what are the accesses that we give to you, you're going to have access directly to AWS without having to log in again. So really a powerful feature. And once you're in AWS, one of the security fundamentals we want to have and, and we push you and we encourage you to have as well is making sure that security is automated. It is one of the, again, cornerstone of having a secure platform. Your security should be completely automated. And once you have that federation that allows you to access the AWS platform, you can activate some features like AWS Cloud Trail and store the data in AWS Config or Amazon S3. And based on that, you can have programmatic access to all the actions that were made on the platform. So once you have a VPC, and we'll see this later, that is created and someone just adds a new internet gateway to that VPC, you will want to be able to know that and proactively disable that internet gateway, making sure that your VPC is going to be still secure. And using CloudTrade, AWS Config, Config Rules, and maybe Lambda, you have a framework that allows you to secure and have automated security based on your platform. On that... I'll have Brian present you how to build ADFS on top of AWS. Thank you, Julian. So um, to start, what I thought I would share with you is an amazing technical tool that I found that really helped me in this endeavor. So let me bring that up. Um, it's called Google. <laughs> so um, you know, when you get emails or customer questions, you know, that's the best place to go. So the first thing to start with is the AWS Quick Start. Uh, this is a great resource to go grab uh, quick starts to bring things up. And what I used this for was, uh, if I go to Amazon Quick Starts, there are templates here. And one of the templates gives us an ADFS environment. So instead of building it all out myself, I was able to quickly get this started. Um, so I just wanted to show that resource there because that's what we're going to work with here is I, I built it. Basically, I, I ran this template, and that created my ADFS environment for me. Um, and that's what we're going to work with here uh, not much different than if you had built it yourself. It just happened a lot quicker and a lot easier. And so if I go into uh, my environment here, I've got seven machines up and running. And so what that template built for me right away was, 
It built for me two domain controllers in two different availability zones. It built for me the um, ADFS servers, two of them. So, you know, best practice for redundancy and, and fault tolerance, high availability, uh, as well as uh, disaster recovery. We've got that in two separate data centers, so if a data center goes down. Uh, and then we actually go into uh, an AD, one of the ADFS servers and start to configure things. And so another piece of this uh, is there's a great blog article here, um, basically enabling federation to AWSS uh, by Jeffrey Werner. This article step-by-step step walks you through exactly what you need to do uh, to hook up an, Azure, uh, an Active Directory environment to the uh, IAM. And so let's go look into one of my machines here. Uh, we're going to go right into – actually, I have it already opened. We're going to go into uh, my ADFS server. I'm going through that gateway and then remote controlling again into my ADFS server. And so in the ADFS server, the first thing I do is I would go down to Relating Party and Trusts, and um, I right-click on there and I create a new one. It's all in that blog article, and I won't step through all the different pieces to create. But once we create this, uh, we want to hit the uh, web page. And so I hit localhost, CloudFormation, in, in this environment, I don't have a real certificate for, HD, uh, for uh, secure HTTPS connection, so it uh, warns me. I'm going to continue anyway. And this is one of the tricks that I didn't see in any of the documentation, which is I got all this gobbledygook. That's a technical term. So this gobbledygook does not work when you cut and paste it and try to use that uh, as the next step. And so that's one of the reasons I wanted to point out to you is what you really need to do is right-click uh, view source, and when I view source, then I actually get the document that I need. So here's the XML document you need. Once I have that XML document, um, I can go back to the console, and from the console, I can basically go down to the um, IAM section, where is right here. So the identity and access management section here, I'm going to go hit identity providers. And then I'm going to create a provider. I choose a type. I can either do SAML or I can do OAuth or OpenID Connect. Uh, so I'm going to choose SAML here. I give it a name. So I'm going to check the Globex Corporation. That SAML document that we saw, I already downloaded to the desktop, or I think it's on the desktop here. And uh, we'll just grab that SAML document, Federation Metadata, open, next, and then create. So that goes and creates that uh, metadata document, ignore the error, and um, that basically ties the two together. So, you know, the, the steps, it takes about a half hour to actually go through the steps of creating that uh, connection in the uh, ADFS environment on the server, but that blog entry will walk you right through that. Um, and so that's what we have for the first part of the demos. I'm going to hand it back to Julian, and uh, we'll pick up some more explanation of the cloud formation of how that created quickly and, and some of that in the next steps. Thanks. One of the important things here in the ADFS, uh, you've seen, so he was connected to a machine, got access to that federation metadata.xml file. What's important here is that you don't need to have connectivity between AWS and your Active Directory on-premises environment. So here, what Brian did is he created an Active Directory and ADFS environment on top of AWS using CloudFormation, because it's easier. Uh, <coughs> but when you have one on-premises, you may not have internet connectivity from your Active Directory domain controllers. And 
What that federation metadata file does is actually it contains everything and the security keys that are needed to create the trust between AWS and your ADFS environment. So they don't need to be connected. They can be completely offline. And it's really a key feature in terms of security for making sure that you don't get data out on the Internet if you don't want to. Using ADFS, you're in a purely secure environment. And using ADFS, again, you can have all the features from Active, Active Directory domain controllers. You can have multi-factor authentication. You can use certificates. You can use uh, smart cards. You can use many things to secure your environment. So once we have the identity, what we want to have is we want to have a good network. Brian was speaking about having a multi-AZ VPC environment that is set up, which is set up automatically uh, if you use a quick start. Amazon VPC provides you many features that are important when you deploy a Windows environment. The first one is high availability. VPC, when you create a subnet, you're going to attach a side range, and you're going to select one of the availability zones of that region. And having the right setup for your VPC allows you and is actually mandatory to have a highly available setup on top of AWS. So when you start an Amazon EC2 instance, you can select exactly which availability zone it's going to be running in. But VPC also serves for security. And security comes through network ACLs, comes through security groups. So you can define and you can manage the networking and firewalling rules that you want to have. It also provides auditability, and we'll see that just later. Thanks to some new features such as VPC flow logs, you can have full traceability of what's going on in your network. Really important. Oh, one thing I forgot in terms of security. The AWS Shield service that we announced this morning works, of course, with VPC. So all the security fundamentals that we provide on the platform are available in VPC. And by the way, VPC is a default setting when you start a new account on top of AWS. And finally, VPC can also serve for licensing and compliance management. Using VPC, you can define what we call a tenancy for your machines. So you can start machines that are going to be on the, physically, on the physical hardware that is dedicated to you. And using that, you can leverage legacy contracts or operating systems contracts to bring your existing licenses on top of AWS. And using that feature, you're going to save a lot of money. So, what do we want to have when we create a VPC on top of AWS? So here I'm using an example region which has three availability zones. This is the canonical setup for having a VPC on top of AWS. That's what I deploy just about every day with my customers. What we have is we have a VPC that is constrained to one region. Within that VPC, we have three availability zones. We're going to select two availability zones for hosting the applications. One of the questions you're going to ask me is, why would I use only two availability zones if I have three available? Point is, for enterprise applications, most of the platforms that are running uh, on-premises on, on and in the cloud actually only support active-passive environments. So if you have a third availability zone, you're not going to be able to have automated failover. If I'm using SQL Server always on availability groups, for instance, I can only set up one active machine one perceived machine, and automated failover between these machines. If I have a third one, I can have high availability, but it's going to be manual failover. So for most of the applications and the enterprise applications that are deployed on the platform, we usually use two availability zones. But if you look at this setup, we have a third availability zone that is still used. That availability zone is used for quorum. When you have a Windows Server failover cluster, 
platform that is running on top of AWS. You're going to have two nodes for active-passive failover, and you need to have a third node that is going to be making the decisions. Is my node active or not? If you only have two nodes and you have a network partition, each of the nodes, you're going to be sure that he's the only one working. So you end up in a, in a situation that we call the split brain scenario, where you're going to have two active uh, platforms, and both platforms are going to be sure that they're the only one working. Point is, they both work. So when you come back a few hours later, you're going to see discrepancies in the data. And once you have a third availability zone, you can have a judge that is going to be connecting to the, to the two other platforms, and only if one machine and the judge, or one machine and the other one, can talk to one another and can agree that someone is the master, then that platform is going to be the master. So really important to have the third AZ. But then the next question is, what do I do if I don't have a third AZ in that region? It happens for some of the regions, some of the new regions, such as Frankfurt or Mumbai. Actually, you can create that um, third subnet in one of the existing availability zones. You're not going to be as well architected as on a 3AZ region, which is, uh, for a fact, the new standard for building new regions within AWS. We build all our new regions with 3AZs. And in that setup, I'm going to have a public subnet because I'm going to need to access the internet for downloading patches and managing my platform. So I'm going to use two public subnets with NAT gateways, and I'm going to have two private subnets. The key point here between the subnets is just routing. So subnets that are in the private tier won't have access to the internet, but will have access through the VPN connectivity directly to my data center. And as I'm on the VPC, I can activate on that VPC what we call VPC flow logs. We're going to get back to exactly the same principles we had when we built the platform using IAM. VPC flow logs give you full traceability. And again, if something wrong goes on the network, someone tries to connect via RDP to machines that he's not supposed to connect to, you can have traces and you can act automatically based on it. So CloudWatch logs and S3 are going to store the logs, and you can analyze them in real time, actually. So on that, I give the hand to Brian, who's right. going to be presenting you how to do that. So before I start my demo, before we switch that over, just take a look at that screen, because that is what we're going to build. And we can either go one of two routes. You can either painfully watch me build them one by one, or we can do it a little faster. Anyone want to vote on that? Faster. faster. All right. All right. So as we switch over here, um, what we're going to do uh, is use a cloud, uh, a cloud formation template. And so these are JSON templates. And here is an example of one on my desktop. Um, zoom a bit. Uh, zoom. Well, they, you don't need to see each piece of this. But I, if uh, I could zoom so you could read them. But the important part down here is the outputs. And I'll just read it to you. You don't need to necessarily see it. We're creating some VPCs. We're creating a public subnet one, a public subnet two, just like the diagram you saw. We're creating a uh, server subnet or a private subnet on the back end. Uh, so other things we're creating in here is we're going to create an Active Directory, uh, but we're going to use the uh, managed Active Directory from AWS, and we're going to create an Enterprise Managed Active Directory. Um, other things, let's see. Uh, we've got our uh, uh, remote desktop gateways that we're going to come in with, and so that's, that's what we're going to do. So to go do that, we basically come to uh, service space, and we say uh, CloudFormation, create a new stack. And then I can use a design wizard, which has some drag-and-drop abilities to go create that JSON template. I can go grab them off of uh, different sites on the Internet where they're sitting there. Uh, we have some on AWS. There's, there's stuff 
um, in, um, oh, what would be a good online repository for code? I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Who's going to help me out here? GitHub. I wish I had stuff to throw to you, but I don't. Oh, code commits as well. Oh, put, is there, is there, are these on code commit too? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know they're on GitHub. So anyway. Um, GitHub is good. So I'm going to upload a file from my desktop, the one we just looked at. So I'll browse to my desktop here. And uh, that's the one core. And when you say open, I hit next. Now the next thing you'll see that pops up is information. It's got some populated information that I can change. It's also asking me for some information. So as you build these templates and copy from other areas and drag and drop, you can have you can hard code parameters in there that then won't ask, or you can have it ask so that you can make things different every time. Um, so let's do this as uh, a demo. Um, and then it's going to need a password here. This base image ID, I don't need to fill in unless I want to change it from what's the default there. And then I'm going to take the uh, that third AZ. In, in some areas, there are three AZs. So we have the option to turn that off here. But there are three AZs in this. So we'll say next. And then here I'll just say never. Uh, next again. The last thing it's going to do, it's going to warn me, hey, this template could do stuff like add a, another account that can manage your fabric and different stuff. So make sure you know what your template's doing. Don't just download it off of GitHub and run it. Um, if you want to do that, uh, send me an email and I'll send you a link to GitHub so I can play with your network. All right. Um, so I'm going to hit create here. Now this takes a little while to create. Depending on what you're building, it can take a, a different amount of time. It shows create in progress. If it fails, it'll show fail and fail back. Uh, but just like the cooking shows, I've already got one baked. So we're going to go over to a different area here. We'll go into Virginia. Um, and I have a cloud stack here that I built before. And if we look at this cloud stack, uh, I can see the events as it built. I can go look at my template that I used. Right? Here's that template. I can look at the parameters that were entered. And so after you build up a stack and you go, oh, what did I use for the, the, the name of the Active Directory environment? Or what was the admin name? Did I use admin, administrator? Um, in this one, we used stack admin. Oh, okay. So, you know, so there's, there's different pieces uh, that you can find from there. Um, but let's go look at what it actually built. So let's look at uh, our VPC. And then we're going to take a look at our subnets here. So here are the subnets that it built. We built the quorum subnet, or the, the area we're going to watch. Uh, we built a public subnet and a public subnet in two different availability zones. We built two private subnets. And on the private subnets is where the Active Directory installed. And so uh, with this, I will leave it. We'll come back to this spot in the next demo and pick up from here. Um, but I should point out that why this is so awesome, not only is it infrastructure as code, and if you do it in code, not only can you put it in there, but when you make changes, you can do changes to the template, resubmit it, and it will just make the changes. So when you think about how many people have had to fill out Word documents or some kind of thing to, you know, go click on this button and add this server here and do this, you know, tweak here, set the DNS name to this, and how often when you try to reproduce it, do you reproduce it correctly? I mean, I'm sure you guys reproduce it correctly, but I don't reproduce it correctly. And so this is awesome because it's infrastructure as code, and when you do the work, it actually is self-documenting, right? So it gets rid of that extra step for us. So that, in addition to the fact that um, 
Two weeks ago, Julie and I were asked to do this presentation. Um, about a week ago, we had our plans of what we wanted to do. Um, and so over Thanksgiving, neither of us worked on it because we spent, uh, I don't know if you had Thanksgiving in France, but I, it, I didn't work on it. Um, and so, you know, as far as without Cloud Foundation, you guys would be looking at really, really lame demos. Uh, hopefully you don't think these are lame, but um, they would have taken a lot, lot more time to do. And, and if you think about the old days, right, with laptops, you'd have them all piled up. You, anyway, the cloud is awesome, and, and the infrastructure's code has been very nice for that. Anyway, I'm going to hand it back to Julian, um, and then we'll pick up from the spot uh, when we get back. So don't forget about this stuff as we come back. Uh, one, of the, one of the key points here as well, so we're working 5,000 miles apart from one another. So it's really nice to be able to send a zip file or just have a GitHub or cut commits files that we can exchange, so Brian can start the template, I can review it, we can change it. It's really a nicer way of, of working than having to package VMs and send them over the wire, which on my DSL connection would take hours. So yeah, key point here, again, we have a VPN, and everything that we've done with Active Directory and IAM before is still working. So we still have Active Directory on-premises, we have IAM access through ADFS, so everything builds up uh, based on one another. In the specific case that Brian has dem demonstrated now, so we were creating what we call AWS Directory Service Managed Active Directory, or Active Directory Enterprise Edition. It's a bit of a long name. Um, what it gives you, it gives you a fully managed Active Directory environment that is provisioned, backed up, patched. Uh, you can make restores, you can change schemas, and we're going to see some of the features that you can build uh, using that platform. But when people build AWS directory services, there's multiple ways of working with it. The first one is to say, I want to do a POC in the cloud. So I want to test stuff. And I just don't want to go through the security uh, reviews of everything. I want to have isolated users in AWS. That's something you can do with directory service. That's actually the default model. When you create a directory service, you're going to have an isolated forest sitting on top of AWS. But the POC is going good, so you say, yeah, now I'm going to go to the pilot phase. I'm going to select a set of users. I'm going to migrate them to AWS. But there's going to be my key users. So I want them to have the best experience possible. And in that model, what we can do is we can create a trust. So either a one-way trust or a two-way trust. What it gives us, it gives us single sign-on. It gives us visibility. So within the AWS environment, you're going to have the machines the VMs and everything that is created and managed directly by AWS Directory Service, and your users still live in your on-premises Active Directory environment. So it's one of the key points here is that you don't have to change the security settings, you don't have to change the security model. You still have the same users. They still live in the same place, are managed by the same people. But the infrastructure that is running on top of AWS is a bit more managed and a bit more automated. So, what we're going to get here is, and what Brian is going to show is, based on the same setup, so I removed the third AZ for, just for schema simplicity. Uh, using the VPN connectivity, we can have a trust that is going to be created between your on-premises Active Directory domain controllers and AWS Directory service. Again, that's going to give you a, what we call a resource forest. So for those of you who've deployed exchange environments, uh, it's one of the best setups to have Exchange because Exchange tends to change a bit the schema of Active Directory, just a bit. 
And if you do that on premises and you want to migrate, you won't be able to have multiple versions of Exchange running one beside the other because it breaks the schema uh, sometimes. So using a resource for us model, basically you have an isolated environment for running Exchange. And that AWS directory service just released um, a month ago, I believe now, the, the capability to bring LD files directly to AWS directory service, and we're going to be applying the modifications to the schema for you in a managed way. If something goes wrong, we roll back. You're back on exactly the point you were before. If you make a change, you test it doesn't work like you want, you can get back to the last backup, which was created just before applying the schema extension. So directory service, from what I see with my customers, is really an enabler for having uh, the programmatic access to AWS. And on that space, what we have as well is new features that are coming around AWS directory service. We'll see that with Amazon RDS, Relational Database Service. If you use RDS SQL Server and directory service, you can have your RDS SQL Server joined to the domain. So your users will use their existing credentials to connect to the databases that are hosted on AWS. Very powerful. And as well, we have auto-domain join and easy to run commands that we're going to show later. Auto-domain join gives you the ability, when you start a new virtual machine, to have it automatically joined to your AWS directory service domain without having to do anything. So really one of the key features for having that automation and agility and still being compliant with the best practices for running Windows architectures. On that, I'm going to let Brian show you how we build it. I, I, I am just going to correct one thing you just said. Oh, yeah, please. Which is you, it's, you do have to do something. You either have to check the box or put the code in the template. Yeah. Right? You do. But that is pretty, pretty simple compared to what you'd have to do otherwise. Um, Anyway, uh, let's switch on over. We left it off where we were. And all I've done in this environment is I've added my Active Directory on-prem subnet. And so if we look, that's a 10-dot network, right, completely separate network than the 172 network areas that we had set up previously, right? So uh, this one I then created, put Active Directory in there, and then went and uh, basically did a forest trust uh, between basically the two domain controllers that are in the network we built uh, that are managed by AWS and this Active Directory server. The only trick that there was to it, which took me some time to figure out, is there's a thing called security groups. Did I mention I've been working on AWS for five months? Yeah, so I'm doing all kinds of stuff, and for some reason they can't talk, and I'm looking at DNS, and I'm looking, why aren't, I'm doing the host file, anyway, uh, if you open up the ports and the security groups and let them talk to each other. Um, and it's easy to do in a secure fashion. And, oh, Google can help you find the answer, too. Uh, I should have used that tool sooner. But anyway, um, so let's go look at uh, what we have here. Um, we have that environment, and I'll switch over to directory. So on the directory service, the first thing you do is you remote control into your uh, Active Directory environment, your on-prem environment, and you set up uh, the uh, federation. And then uh, you come to this one, and this is my uh, managed one. You don't have domain access, right? We do the domain, the you know, domain access of this uh, domain admin access. So you come to the portal here, uh, and we set up trust relationships here. Now, to set up trust relationship, you hit add trust relationship. You put in the uh, on-premise uh, on-premises server, 
right? On a premise is when you have a premise for something. Premises is environment. I hate when speakers get that wrong. Anyway, uh, so I set up the environment here for my company. I put the trust password that I've set already on that server, on that Active Directory environment. I set whether it's a one-way incoming outgoing or a two-way. And lastly, I do a conditional forwarder. And this is how it finds, you know, all the server records and all the DNS records and whatever it needs to do to talk uh, is that conditional forwarder. You point it towards the DNS server for that Active Directory environment. And then you hit Add, and it goes and creates it. And so we already have that created and verified. Now, some of the cool things I can do with this, then, is I can access some of the resources in AWS. Uh, and just one of those resources uh, is uh, workspaces. I don't – do you go into workspaces at all later? Uh, I don't believe so. Yeah. so. So just to overview what workspaces, if you haven't seen it yet, this is a desktop-type environment that you can make available to users, whether it's for, you know, temporary users, for other secure ideas, or for – you know, disaster-type scenarios where, yep, they can't come into the office, but they can have a remote access. Here I have a, a Windows 10 experience desktop setup. Um, and hitting Launch Workspace, you choose the directory, which this globex.com is the managed directory, right? The other one is not listed, but this directory um, basically trusts that other directory. And so I can use users from either side to go create new desktops here. Um, and so let me uh, just do a quick search, uh, show some users. Let's grab uh, admin and add selected. I got to select, don't I? Um, and so this is then how I go and create a new desktop environment. It can email them. Oh, it actually wants somebody with an email address, which I already have set up. Uh, so this then goes and creates that desktop environment and steps you through that. Um, to build that out. But I can grab the Active Directory IDs from either Forest now or either Active Directory domain. Um, and so this is a, a pretty cool uh, environment if you're looking to do desktops that are then tied into your environment. So that's what I had to show here. Ready to go back to you. Yep. So what we've seen, we can create Active Directory on premises. We can extend it to AWS. We can have access to the new features within AWS that help you uh, benefit from all the programmability of the cloud. But then, what many of my customers ask me is that, yeah, okay, I have an Active Directory domain controller on-premises. I have AWS directory services on AWS. I'd like to have more, um, uh, that VPN connectivity becomes a single point of failure. If it doesn't work, if it fails, maybe you're not gonna be able to have new users connecting. So some of the, <coughs> some of my customers, and the biggest one actually do that. Actually, what they do is they take their Active Directory domain controller that is on-premises. They also deploy new domain controllers in their existing domain on top of AWS in the same subnets. You can either create read-only domain controllers or domain controllers within the same domain. They're not going to be used for creating users or creating platforms. What they're going to be used for is making sure that the trust is running, making sure that you can have efficient lookup of the users, and making sure that any single user that is accessing an application on AWS is going to have fast authentication and security. So the models you can have using this kind of setup are limitless. You can recreate the model that you want to have uh, for your security uh, purposes. So, what done with the foundation? 
We have IAM. We have, so we have security and secure platform access. We now have the VPC that is set up, and we have the identity for uh, the application. What you'd want to do now is you will want to launch stuff on AWS because it kind of makes sense. So you want to move initial workloads to AWS. And there's multiple ways of doing it. The first one is building in the cloud. Just start a new Amazon EC2 instances. We, we have tools for, for that that are really easy to use. Or you can migrate existing platforms on top of AWS. For the migration, we have partners such as CloudAnger, Zerto, RaceMe, and many others. But we also have tools that are provided by AWS, such as AWS Discovery Ser Application Discovery Service that's going to look at what's running on-premises, make you a list of the dependencies between your machine, and if then you use AWS Server Migration Service, you're going to be able to move your workloads transparently to AWS. So you don't even have to redesign anything. You can do what we call a lift and shift. And then you're going to be working on supervision. Uh, you will want to have CloudWatch. You will want to have metrics. You will want to have logging that are activated and, and centralized so you can have, again, programmability around your platform. And then you want to have maintenance, patching, WSUS. All these platforms, actually what you can do on Windows, and it's one of the specific pillars we have on AWS for the Windows community, you can do it in a familiar way. If you want to use System Center because you've invested in System Center for managing your on-premises environment, you can keep on using System Center on top of AWS. You can use SCVMM, so System Center Virtual Machine Manager, to start new instances, stop them, manage them. And you can use System Center Operations Manager to have visibility, to have the metrics that are going to be gathered worldwide and brought to you in one of your dashboards. That is the, the same dashboards that you have on-premises. So really a key feature. And since many people use VMware, we also have tools for VMware that are already present. So we have a management pack for VMware vCenter. So when you use vCenter, you can, as you do in SCVMM, create machines, stop machines, migrate machines to AWS. And also, we just announced uh, a, month, a couple of months ago a big partnership with VMware, where you're going to be able to bring your vMotion. You're going to be able to bring all the things you have from VMware directly to AWS on the VMware on AWS cloud managed by VMware. So really that familiarity for bringing workloads to AWS is one of the key pillars that we have. And we want you to be able to keep on using the tools that you have. And on that, I'm going to leave Brian present you how to use w, uh, no, SCVMM for creating environments. Oh, you ruined it. I was going to say, so which one of these do you want to see? <laughs> which one? Oh, I heard System Center Virtual Machine Manager. Fantastic. That's what I'll show. Um, as we switch over to that, it is. We um, looking at the environment. What I built out here again, I grabbed a template. Um, I actually grabbed a Quick Start template uh, and uh, used Cloud Foundation, uh, uh, Cloud Formation, to set this up. Um, and so I have, you know, two availability zones again, and I have got a domain controller on each side. But these time, this time, it's not in the uh, managed enterprise, it's actually just machines and on top of instances. Um, and so I've got my gateways to go in and manage that. I further built a system center virtual machine manager uh, environment. And so uh, we're going to go remote control into that environment. And so here's my server, and I'm on that server, I ran the console. We could run the console from another spot and point towards the server, the typical system center virtual machine environment. Uh, but when I come down to all hosts and choose the Amazon EC2 button, 
I get a view of my instances. And here we're looking at uh, our data center in Frankfurt, uh, our, the region of uh, uh, Frankfurt, Germany. But the uh, area we're at right now, which is, um, uh, I believe it was Oregon, right? Uh, we'll go to Oregon here. We'll list these servers. Here's the SCBMM server. Uh, I could go in here and turn it off and ruin our demo. Um, I can go into uh, other areas. And the one I'm going to go to first uh, is I think I will go, or next I will go to the uh, California area because I've got some servers there uh, that we're going to use in our next uh, demo that we come into. And this is a web fleet environment. So one of the other things I can do from this plugin is I can create instances. And so I'm going to create instances here. Uh, and in this environment, I'm going to create a Windows instance, and I'm going to base it off of the Windows Server 2012 R2 uh, AMI, the base. Uh, I'm just going to do it, go with the T2 Micro, and then I'm going to use a key pair that I already have existing. And then uh, the last piece here that's uh, really important. Man, well, I want the security group so that my web server can actually be uh, hit by the outside. Where is that? That is not the one I wanted. Um, we'll take one of these launch wizards then anyway. And then the important part is this IAM role. And I'll detail this IAM role in the next one, but I need to take this IES web fleet run command environment which I created, so that's not a you know, that's a name, whatever you name it. Uh, but we'll show you that magic sauce later. Uh, I hit create, and now it's going to, going to create that uh, server for me. And we'll see that when we go over the environment next time. Uh, but right now, we see that we have the uh, four machines, and we'll have a fifth machine up and running when we go into the next demo. At least if the demo gods are are favorable to me today. So, uh, on that note, Julian, I'll hand it back to you. Okay. So yeah, really system center and it's the same experience with VMware. You can use exactly your tools and that familiarity, Peter, is really key for us. So now you've moved applications on top of AWS. And what we recommend is for you to automate and to repeat uh, as much as possible. Uh, one of the partners that I'm working with in Europe, uh, they have a build team that is building environments for the customer. The output of that build team is not a deployment document, a Word document of 55 pages that no one can read. It's actually CloudFormation templates. What this team does is always outputting a CloudFormation template. So when they get that environment to the production teams and the support teams, they're going to have a repeatable way of building it, managing it, and it's self-documented again. So it's really a, <coughs> a performant way and an easy way to do it. But when you want to start machines, and, and specifically on Windows, sometimes you have many applications you want to deploy on top of it. So let's say I have a machine, I want to have IIS that is running on the machine, and I'm going to have some sites, like I have a SharePoint-based image that I want to run. And these environments, building it and scripting it from day one may not be the most efficient way of doing things. And there's... Um, and there's a, a way of doing infrastructure in the cloud that we call the immutable infrastructure uh, mantra, where your machines are going to be built and ready before being started. The main advantage of that type of environment is that you can start machines within minutes. A Windows machine is going to start in four or five minutes maximum. It's going to be ready. Website installed, ready to serve traffic. Linux instances can be even a bit faster. Windows Server 2016 nano instances are going to be even faster. So you can have really fast scale up and scale out of, of your environments depending on your needs. 
the other way is to do things, and we'll, we'll see later that we can even enhance that with Chef, is bootstrapping. Instead of having a fleet of maybe 100 images because you're going to have the SharePoint, you're going to have each and every one of your applications that's going to have a specific image that you would build and automate, you can, you can use bootstrapping. So as I said before, it's a bit slower because you're going to have to download all the files, execute PowerShell scripts, configure the machines, and get that up and running. So a bit slower, you're going to have machines up and running within 10 minutes or 15 minutes, maybe. But the advantage is you're going to have only one image to manage. So you have to choose, and you can actually have well, different solutions depending on your, on your applications. You have to choose between performance and making sure that you can start machines really fast by using AI and image automation, or if you want to be completely independent from your platform and using everything through bootstrapping. And by the way, we have bootstrapping, so we support PowerShell when you start a machine. So when you start one of the machines, you can put a PowerShell script that's going to be executed on the first boot of the machine, and that PowerShell script can do anything it wants on the machine. So you can really have full automation of, of the configuration of your machine. What we see a lot coming now, and it's been uh, in the air for, for a few years now, is the containers movement. Uh, so we have Amazon ECS, that's a platform provided by AWS that works on Linux. The ECS team has announced publicly that they're going to be supporting Windows Server 2016 on ECS really soon. I don't have the date, but it's going to be really soon. So you're going to be able to leverage your Windows premises and basically have Windows Server 2016 instances started managed on, in terms of instances, and on top of that, you can start containers and manage containers. I was speaking about fast for the image automation. When you're speaking about containers, you can start machines in seconds. So the, the unit of scale is not one big machine. It's going to be one container. So each part of your application can scale independently, and it's going to scale within seconds. So really key and really important for having this automation, this speed of use and speed to the business. And finally, we've been speaking about it from the beginning of this presentation. You want to be experts in CloudFormation. Maybe not experts, but you want to understand how CloudFormation can help you build the environments you want. And using CloudFormation for automated deployments, we've spoken about the quick start. It's fully automated CloudFormation templates. You create network, you create security, you create users, you create machines, storage, databases, Active Directory. And also you can configure what's within the machine. So everything I've been speaking about around bootstrapping and containers, you can even embed that within a CloudFormation template. So if you have a, a, a customer or if yourself are working in a global environment and you want to extend because we're releasing new regions regularly, we have customers that within one hour of the announcement of a new region of AWS are already up and running in that region because it makes sense for them. And using CloudFormation, it's really a piece of cake to be deployed in a new region. One of the platforms that we're going to see here is that's one of the canonical uh, web platforms that we have, using managed services on top of AWS. So we're still based on exactly the same principles that we, we had before. So we have Active Directory on-premises. We have ADFS for authentication. We use IAM. We have all the gray boxes that I had at the beginning for auditability and programmatic security uh, that are left out of this schema because it would be a bit too big to find on screen. And then we have directory service that provides you infrastructure identities on top of the platform in a managed way. And on top of that, we've started Amazon RDS, relational database service, using SQL Server in mirroring mode. 
what I see here is that when you start SQL Server mirroring using Amazon RDS multi-easy, you have machines that are started in two availability zones. And by the way, RDS is twice the price when you start multi-easy. But what I'm not showing here is that if you remember the third AZ with a, third, with a subnet specific to that AZ, that's actually what we do. We have three servers that we start, and we have that witness server that makes sure that you don't end up in a split brain scenario. It's just provided by the service. You don't even have to see it. And if one of the machines fails, it's automatically replaced by a new one. We reinitiate the mirroring. We make sure that the machines are backed up, patched, and highly available. So Amazon RDS for SQL Server is really the go-to database engine for any Windows-based application. And again, it's fully integrated with Active Directory, so we're still leveraging everything that we've seen from, from the beginning. And on top of that, I'm going to be using the IAS servers that Brian has just been studying. So I'm going to have a fleet of servers that is going to be spread around multiple availability zones to make sure that my application is going to be up and running always. And of course, on top of that, I'm going to have an ELB because I want to serve traffic to the internet. But that ELB could be actually internal and using exactly that platform for serving traffic for my corporate users as well. This, we have a CloudFormation template that can deploy it. It's deployed in about 45 minutes, I'd say, uh, to have that environment set up end-to-end. And you can optimize the environment, you can use AMIs, you can use bootstrapping to configure as you wish this environment. So once you have this environment, as I said, you will want to administer it. You will want to make sure that the operations of this environment are going to be as efficient as possible. The first thing you want to do, because you're in the Windows space, and the mantra around Windows administrators tend to click a bit on the machines, still stands a bit. Uh, it's not what I recommend, but if you need to have remote desktop access, like we just did with Brian today, you can, you can use remote desktop gateways. So you're going to have a Windows box that is going to be that you're going to be accessing through a secure HTTPS channel, and that machine will serve as a proxy to allow you to access the backend machines and then do the administration work you want. But that means that you need to have a public IP address on your VPC. And I have many customers that say, my VPCs don't have any public connectivity. I don't want to be able to connect to the Internet or get from the Internet to my VPC. What you can use is Amazon Workspaces to do that. If you start an Amazon workspace in the Active Directory domains, uh, in the managed AD environment, AWS Directory service, you can start the workspace within your VPC, even if that VPC does not have internet connectivity. And that workspace is going to be secured with multi-factor authentication and Windows logins, so you're going to have the same level of security than any VPN access you have from the outside world, which is really one of the easy ways to do administration at scale from anywhere. You're going to have the security, and by the way, the administrators won't have access to the local drives. They won't be able to download the files or do stuff. It's just copy-paste and just pixel sendings. But what I prefer if you work in the Windows ecosystem is please do scripting. Script everything. Stop clicking. If you do something via the console, we've seen that today, you're building your technical debt. You want to be able to script everything. Everything within AWS is programmable. So using PowerShell, you can manage the platform, and you can manage what's inside the platform. And once you start playing with PowerShell, uh, and by the way, Windows is now supporting SSH if you use Windows 10 or Windows Server 2016, so it's even an easier way to, to get access to the machines. What you want to have is, actually, you want to have a no-ops. You, you don't want to have to connect to a machine either with PowerShell 
or either via remote desktop connections. What you want is you want to have that cloud control center, that pilot environment where everything is automated. You have an alert on one machine because there's an event plug that is sent from that machine and you want to act on it. You can script it and using the Windows tool for, the AWS tool for Windows PowerShell, you can actually program the platform. And one of the features that we released just a year ago at reInvent, it's Amazon EC2 run command. It's that control center that helps you run at scale commands on fleets of machines from one machine to thousands of machines if you want. And that environment is available in PowerShell as well. And to demonstrate that, Brian is going to take the stage. Thank you. Okay, so in this environment, what I have here is I have four servers right now. I originally, when I built this, was playing with it. I was doing 10 servers and then 10 servers, and then I found out I have a max of 20 machines that I, without calling, right, getting it lifted, uh, I can build 20, 20 servers in this environment. Uh, so um, that's why I went down to four here. But we're going to create a few more right now before we go on. Uh, let me explain what I have. Can you guys see this? Should I uh, zoom in a little bit on it? Uh, let's go. Oops. So I have uh, what I called WebFleet 1. The one is, it's the first server I built, right? So I built uh, one in, uh, basically in AZC and then in AZA, uh, I have built one. And those were the first two uh, web servers that I built. Um, then I built a second one, and those are, those are the things that we kind of have baked and sitting there, because right now we're going to create some more servers, but they take four minutes to create, and I figured you guys probably don't want to watch that uh, and sit here for four minutes. So first, I'm just going to manually go create a server. And I know Julian just told us never do this, uh, but we're doing it anyway. Uh, I'm just going to take the T2 micro. I'm going to go here and say, all right, let's do uh, 10. Um, I want to select the subnet, the network that I want to be on, which is my web fleet network. And then I'm going to put them all into availability zone A. Uh, auto assign is enabled. Why did it have an error on IAM roles? I need to be uh, choose the IAM role. And as I mentioned before, this is the special sauce when it comes to run command, is the IAM role. Um, and so then um, I believe I am ready. Uh, well, actually, I should probably uh, pick a security group. I mentioned security groups before. Yeah. Uh, you got to do a security group as well so that the web server is hittable. And so I have one pre-created here. Uh, called Web Fleet Security Group. So review and launch, launch, yep. All right. So now in about four minutes, I should have 10 more instances to work with. But as I mentioned, we have this already pre-baked. So let's go look at our servers again. We've got four running. We have a bunch of others creating. And so these four... I can manage uh, with run command. Now, when I went to look at this today, uh, actually, not today, I was looking at this earlier today. When I went to look at this right before the session started, um, this new section appeared, right? So this is uh, the uh, systems manager shared resources. This part is all new as of, uh, what, maybe a couple hours ago or first I saw it was, was less than an hour ago. Um, but anyway, uh, we're going to use the run command section here. And we see that the run command was run before, and we see the successes, uh, responses from it. Let's just run a command. We'll come back and look at this stuff after we run a command um, first. So I'm going to come up here and I'm going to choose that we want to run a PowerShell script. And then I come down and I select the instances. 
And so here's my four instances that I can run stuff against. I already ran this against the ones, so I'm just going to select the twos. And then I've got a command section. Well, just so happens I have some PowerShell that I want to run because we just created these right off of the base template. Now, if we use CloudFormation, we could have had it already set it up with IIS, but IIS isn't on these yet. And I could already pee into them and do that work. Uh, but even easier is just to put import module dash, uh, import dash module server manager, right, which is a typical Microsoft Windows server module. And then I use add Windows feature web server. And instead of listing out all, whatever sub features I want, I told it to put every feature in there. So it's going to have ASP.NET. It's going to have all those little sub pieces in it. Um, and that's it. So as I go down, um, there's things I could do. I could put an S3 bucket for more detailed logging that it would drop stuff to. Uh, but I don't have to. I can just hit run. And so now it's running. And so it's in progress. And those two servers are have that uh, script running. We'll see possibly if it finishes. Uh, before we're done, we'll see whether it succeeded or failed. If it fails, it gives you, you know, the output of why it failed in uh, a small extent. If you want full detailed logging, you want to add the S3 bucket for it to drop it into, but it will have logging. And if we look at the ones that already ran, um, basically it tells us what command it ran and what, you know, was it a success or not. And so here's the commands it ran. It ran import dash module server manager Windows add feature, right? So that is how I installed and put uh, the web server on there. Now, if you think about that, what else could I have done? Anything you can script. So one of the things that I've always been tried to, tried to be very careful of in, in cloud environments is how do you get access to the server with either SSH or RDP? Um, in Windows Server, there's actually usually two accesses open, uh, which is remote PowerShell and RDP. So if you mistakenly go screw up and remove the uh, uh, ability to RDP to the box, you kind of lock yourself out, right? You've got to either download the image or, or you just delete it and start over. Um, PowerShell gives you another option. You can remote PowerShell to it. Um, if you delete the network card, you're still kind of out of luck. Uh, but one of the other options I can do is I can use run command to go turn back on RDP. So, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a really impressive environment. But how it works is it's an agent that runs on these servers. It's built into the AMI by default. And um, you can put this agent onto your on-premises servers as well. Uh, and then register them, and you can manage your on-premises servers with it. The way it works is these servers need to have Internet access. They need to browse out to the Internet, and they need to read what they're supposed to do and what they're supposed to run. It's not a listener, so there's no port listening that you can come into, um, but it's an active agent. Um, boy, I don't, I don't think we should call it a remote access Trojan, but it's similar to how those work. Um, wait, erase that off that video, please. Um, that was a bad minute. Anyway, um, so what we have to do for that is we have to give these uh, instances the ability to read these commands. And so the way to do that is that IAM role I showed. And all you have to do is go to the IAM and create that role. So if I go to uh, roles, I create a new one. I give it a name. Uh, let's just call this one run. Next. It's all the way at the bottom. It's this policy right here. Amazon EC2 uh, role for simple systems manager. You select that, and you're done. That's it. You apply that to the VMs that you create, 
or to the instances you create, and now it has the access, uh, the ability to go read, uh, and you can run these commands on it. So that is how run command works, and I see we're running low on time, but let's just see if it finished real quick on, uh, on our run command. And we succeeded. Hey. All right, so thank you. Thank you. I owe you drinks. <clears throat> uh, so back to you. To finish because we're pretty much out of time. Yes. Once you have these platforms up and running, you're going to have some, still some work to do. The first work you want to have, if you're using AMI automation, you want to use image hygiene, which is creating new machines, patching the images, and creating new images. It's, it requires some scripting, but we have many partners that provide tools that help you in that space. Second thing that is important is configuration management. You have a Windows set of servers that is running. You want to make sure that these servers will be up and running, patched with the latest version of your application. So you can do that using PowerShell desired state configuration or any other desired state platform. But we also have OpsWorks has a chef-managed option now, and chef supports Windows as well. So you can have desired state configuration, which instead of having all the scripts that we have, you just say, I want this machine to be a web server. If someone removes the web server role, it's going to get back applied. If someone changes it, it's going to get back to exactly where it were. So it really manages what we call the drift uh, of the machines. Then you want to have monitoring. You can leverage CloudFront. You can leverage SCUM. You can leverage many platforms for it. And I'm not going to go too, too deep into it, but we just announced a new service, which is um, Amazon EC2 Systems Manager uh, that has a patching service. So what Brian just discovered uh, 45 minutes ago in the console, which I discovered as well, is actually a way for you to manage the patching and the life cycle of your machines on-premises and in AWS. It's a full hybrid setup that we have in that space. So on that, what I encourage you to do is go to the hands-on lab we have hundreds of computers that you can, basically you can try everything we've done today. Look at the AWS tools for Windows PowerShell. You can script the entire platform. We have thousands of commandlets that are available for you. Look at the architecture center. The schemas that we have are all in the architecture center. You can look at best practices for web applications, batch processing, e-commerce applications. And finally, I cannot encourage you enough to get the training and certification offering. Go to the certification booth. They have awesome goodies as well when you're in reInvent and in the summits. So please go and get certified. And on that, we want to thank you a lot for being here. Thank you.